So here's where we've been so far. Uh, the message of Mark is pretty straightforward. Jesus arrives on the scene and he begins to announce that the kingdom of God, the activity of heaven is here. But not only that, God is near. The kingdom of heaven is here and God is near and you are not far from him, he says. And God wants all of you, all of you, to enter into that kingdom. Now, as we've gone through this series, we've, we've expanded on this message that Jesus gives us about the kingdom. So first, Jesus tells us the kingdom is here and God is near, but then he goes further. We ask questions like, well, how do you enter this kingdom? How do you encounter this God? And Jesus tells us the, the kingdom is here and you enter it in weakness. Everybody else is about earning and proving and striving, but Jesus shows up and he talks about repenting, which is just a way of him saying, look, you enter God's kingdom by recognizing your desperate state and then turning toward him, towards Jesus. That's how you enter the kingdom. Recognize you're weak, turn towards Christ, and you're in. Well, who's this for, we ask? So, so the weak can enter it, but does that invitation apply to absolutely everybody? And, and last week we learned that the answer to that is yes. The kingdom is here, and it's open to everybody. And when God says everybody, he means anybody, anybody at all. And we quickly overlook just how revolutionary of a message that was and still is. In particular, first century ancient world, participation in religious things, especially first century Judaism, was all about patriarchy and purity. You got to participate if you had the right bloodline, if you had the right dad. Were you, did you have the Jewish DNA? Great, you can participate. Also, do you follow all of the particular rules about cleanliness and purity? Oh, you do? You try? Oh, that's wonderful. You're definitely in. But then Jesus shows up, and he's just walking around grabbing people. You don't know what family tree they're a part of, and definitely by the looks of it, they're not following the rules, and yet Jesus is like, you want in? Come on, you can get in. Let's go have dinner at your house. Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom is for everybody with a special emphasis on nobodies. Today, as we dig a bit deeper into Mark's account, Jesus tells us even more about the kingdom. He tells us that the kingdom is here, and it's all about love. The kingdom is here, and you enter it through weakness. The kingdom is here, and it's open to everybody. The kingdom is here, and it's all about love. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that's not a very revolutionary message. I mean, I've heard the phrase, God is love. I may even have had a bumper sticker that said that back in my day. I might have a t-shirt that says that. I probably tweeted that. What's so revolutionary about that? Well, here's what's revolutionary about it. Lots of people say that God is love, but few people actually believe it or live it. Here's the truth about human beings. For most of us, religion, spirituality, is about laws, not love. And the reason our religion and our spirituality tends to be about laws and not love is because, truth be told, we love laws more than we love love. We love laws and rules more than we love love. And the reason is, is really simple. 
We love laws and rules first because we have to admit that, that laws and rules, they add order and beauty to an otherwise chaotic world. We would be lost without some rules and some laws. And we appreciate the order and the good things and the blessing that, that laws and rules bring into an otherwise messed up world. But, but the deeper reason as to why human beings love laws and rules so much is because we are a self-obsessed people. You see, rules and laws allow us to do three things that our broken hearts love. Rules and laws allow us to climb and control and compete. Rules and laws provide a framework for us to climb up to whatever culture defines or our God defines or we define as success. Follow the rules and you'll be great. Love it. Love that. It also provides a means for us to control other people. We see them misbehaving or not performing appropriately or being a danger to you or me, and I say, oh, no, no, we need to clamp down on the rules with them. And then it also allows us to compare. I can compare my rule-keeping to your rule-keeping. And guess what? In my estimation, I'm typically better at it than you. And there, is, there are few things the human heart loves more than to climb to success to control other people, and to compare ourselves with others, which is why we love laws. If you don't believe me, just look at the world in which we live, the world that we have constructed. For example, just look at the books that we are reading. Just a sampling of the bestseller list right now. On that bestseller list, books about how to avoid climate disaster, how to succeed in business through humor, how to lose weight with keto, how to not be a racist, now, these are not bad things, but they're all little laws. They're all books of rules. They're all to-do lists, and we buy them, we read them, we download them, we eat them up. Look at what gets traction and attention on social media. Now, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff on social media. I like TikTok dances as much as the next person, but what really gets traction and attention on social media? It's when somebody's being condemned for not following the what? The rules. They've broken whatever the cultural orthodoxy is of the moment, and we're calling them out for it. Whether it's Dr. Seuss or Ted Cruz going to Cancun or AOC in some tweet or some Karen calling the cops, someone is always being called out for breaking the rules culturally on social media. And again, I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing. I think public accountability is sometimes a necessary and good thing. But it's just another example of how we love the rules. We love the rules so much, we especially love it when other people get their noses rubbed in it. Which is what much of social media is. Think about your house. You have rules for your house. When your kids were little, you had rules posted on the refrigerator, didn't you? Rule number one, we are nice to one another. Rule number two, we are not picky about our food or our noses. And God has rules as well. God has rules. He's got ten big ones that I can think of. Rules about worshiping him. Rules about not killing other people. Love that rule. Rules about not cheating on your spouse. I appreciate that one. Rules about treating your parents with respect. Now that I've got kids, that's my favorite one. <laughs> and these rules, these rules that God gives to us, they're not just good. They are essential to human flourishing. 
So much so that any successful human civilization has, in some way, shape, or form, had these rules as part of the bedrock of their society. These rules are essential for human flourishing. But, but, but here's where a problem comes in, even with God's rules. In God's church, you have a whole bunch of sinful people, including me and including you. And because we love rules so much and we love laws so much and we love to use them as a means to compare ourselves and to compete with others and to control others and to climb up some ladder of success, we tend to look at God's rules and say, hmm, those are not enough. And we add on a whole other layer of rules based on our Christian subculture that we create. Every church has its own Christian subculture that it creates where they say, yep, there's God's 10 rules. And then we also add things like thou shalt not dress like that. Thou should never vote like that. Thou shouldn't pray like that or look like that or live like that. And we tend to elevate them Albeit in an unspoken manner, we elevate them to the same level as God's laws. And if you happen to join us on a Sunday morning or try to be a part of our community and you break those other rules, the ones we've elevated, we won't outright reject you. No, God's people tend to be way more passive-aggressive than that. We'll just make it awkward for you. Which, by the way, is why some people have walked away from the church. They've walked away not because they've rejected Jesus necessarily, but they walk away because Jesus' people have elevated so much other stuff to this place of importance that it's been hard for them to see Jesus. It's been hard for them to feel like they can understand the unwritten rules or, or, or become just like everybody else. There are expectations they feel like they can't meet or understand, and so they walk away. And this happening, this is nothing new. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders had become obsessed with laws. By the time that Jesus was on the scene preaching and teaching, there were more than 600 rabbinical laws, 613 to be exact, that had been added on to the Torah, first five books of the Bible. Those were sacred. But some rabbis got together, they wrote a commentary on the law, and they added to it and added to it and added to it until you had 613 laws, laws and rules about Sabbath keeping, about cleanliness, about food and about foreigners, laws about the laws, and so much more. Which meant that by the time Jesus showed up, if you were trying to be an observant Jew based on kind of which sect or tribe you belonged to, and you were trying to take your faith seriously, it meant focusing intently, not on God, but on yourself and on your own adherence to the rules. Am I doing enough? Am I following them? Am I fitting in? Did I get it right? Which is why when Jesus enters the scene and he says, guys, 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 listen, you're doing it all wrong. Everybody is shocked. Very early in Jesus's ministry, when word is still getting out and, and crowds are still starting to form, Jesus is confronted by some, I would think, well-intentioned religious people who are asking him questions about some religious rules and some laws. Uh, one group was asking him about fasting, 
uh, the practice of abstaining from food for a period of time so you can focus on the things of God. And they were asking about it because the Pharisees, kind of the, the religious superstars of Jesus' day, they took the law more seriously than anybody else. They were fasting twice a week. Everybody else fasted like maybe a half dozen times a year, but the Pharisees were like, no, we'll see that and raise you a million, and we'll fast every Tuesday and Thursday, which is probably why they had such bad reputation. They were hungry all the time. And they walk up to Jesus, and they're wondering why Jesus isn't fasting as much as the other people who take the things of God really seriously. And then the other group asks him about Sabbath-keeping, Moses put some prohibitions around any kind of labor on the Sabbath, on the holy day. And Jesus was being accused of breaking the rules, not only by not fasting enough, but by allowing his disciples to work on the Sabbath. You know what the work was? They were feeding themselves. They were walking through a field. They were grabbing heads of grain, and they looked up to Jesus like, can we do do this? Is this going to be cool? Is this going to be chill? Because most people are like, not even cool with this. And Jesus is like, have at it. It's fine. And they eat the heads of grain because, you know, they're humans who need to eat. And a whole bunch of other people lose their minds about it. And so Jesus responds to these two things because clearly he has a different understanding of the law and how it all works. So in reference to picking grain on the Sabbath, Jesus says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And earlier, after essentially saying, in regard to fasting, that, look, there is no need to fast in order to focus on the presence of God when the Son of God is standing right here, Jesus offers this. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Wineskins were a kind of ancient canteen made of leather, a leather pouch carrying wine. And if that leather pouch was old and dried up, it'd have a whole bunch of holes and leaks in it. And if you try to fill it up with new wine, it wouldn't be able to expand. It would leak and it'd explode and you'd get wine everywhere. You just don't do that. No one puts new wine into old, dried-out wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. What in the world does all this mean? Here's what it means. Jesus is making a point when he talks about patches on garment and wine. He's saying, I'm introducing a fundamentally different way of relating to God a fundamentally different way of interacting with God. It's completely new to you who have become obsessed with the law and with the rules. What I'm preaching is not an add-on to your tired system of rule-keeping. What I'm preaching is not the patch on the worn-out knee of your favorite pair of jeans. I'm not here to help prop up your system of keeping and maintaining the rules. My teaching can't be contained by your system. My teaching will destroy your system like new wine into old wineskins. That's how different they are. You're all about law-keeping, and that's not at all what I'm saying the kingdom of God is about. 
And then he gives them a taste of just how different his take on the law is when he zeroes in on the Sabbath. What does he say? The Sabbath was established by the Father. The Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. What does he mean? What he's saying is, God put the rules in place to bless the people. God put the rules in place to demonstrate his love and his generosity to the people and to lead us to his love. If your take on the law, if your application of the rules isn't resulting in love, and by the way, letting people eat is loving. If your application of the rules and the law isn't resulting in love, you're getting it wrong. If there's no space for someone to eat in your understanding of the Sabbath, your understanding of the Sabbath is fundamentally screwed up. Another way to put it, perhaps controversially, but I believe correctly, is this. Jesus is saying, look, here's how different my version of the kingdom is from what you've been preaching. In my version of the kingdom, God loves people more than he loves the rules. Because the rules he gave, he gave to bless the people. And if your interpretation of the rules, your additions to the rules, your elevating of the rules ends up depriving people or harming people or oppressing people, you're wrong. And then he adds, by the way, I can say this because I'm the Lord. Mic drop. God's kingdom, according to Jesus, is all about love, not the law. And this message of Jesus was revolutionary And it's still his message that the church is supposed to carry with it today. But as I said, the church today still struggles with this because we we love the rules. We love making everything about the rules. We struggle by adding on laws, by overemphasizing Christian culture, and unknowingly creating rules and expectations that make it hard for outsiders to navigate the church or that make it difficult for people to hear the message of Jesus unless they adopt all of our ways and adapt to all of our preferences. We get it wrong because often we we preach the rules incorrectly. We, We preach the rules in such a way that make it seem like we say we're about grace, but really, unless you do all these things the right way, there's no grace for you. And when the church does that, it pushes people away from the God that they need. It pushes people away from the love of God that is trying to draw close to them. We are guilty at times of making it seem like God loves the rules more than he loves people. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that. You've been hurt or burned by a church that has upheld the rules of God in such a way that it's been abusive to you or harmful to you or dismissive of you. And if that's happened to you, I I, I am so sorry because that's not supposed to be your experience. And I'm surprised you're watching now or you're with us now, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that you are enduring with us or that you've come back and you're giving us a second chance. Because the kingdom of God is not about the laws, certainly not the ones we add on. It's about love. 
Now, if you're tracking with me, you might have a couple questions at this point. You might be like, okay, Matt, I kind of see. You know, the Pharisees were all about follow the rules, follow the rules. Jesus is like, no, you get grace and mercy apart from the rules. I get that. But then what, what exactly then is the point and purpose of the rules? Are you implying that, that Jesus is saying that what we do doesn't matter so long as we love each other? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that within the kingdom of God, within the church, within God's kingdom, the rules, the laws that God gives, they have a very specific purpose. The law, the rules that God gives, they're meant to drive you to God for grace and then to your neighbor in service. That's worth taking note of. When you encounter God's laws, God's commands, God's demands of you, and he has laws and commands and demands of you, the ultimate aim and purpose is to drive you to him, knowing you need mercy and grace, and also to instruct you in what it means to love your neighbor rightly. And when you do come to God, hungry for grace, how's he going to respond? He's going to love you, because that's the purpose of the law. And then when you go to your neighbor, offering what love requires, what are you doing for them? You're loving them. Because after all, that's the aim and the purpose of the law. But again, we we get it wrong. When Christian people apply the law or the rules in ways that make us focused more on how I'm doing and how I'm measuring up, rather than the grace he gives or what our neighbor needs, we're missing the point. The point of the law is to drive you to God, hungry for grace, and then he loves you by giving it to you. And to drive you to your neighbor in service so that you can be an agent of love in this world. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. Now, again, if you're following along with me and you're a critical thinker, you might be be thinking something like this. Okay, I'm kind of tracking with you, but, but again, like, but doesn't accountability to how we break the law matter? Because like if you look around the world, people are breaking the law all over the place. People are breaking civil laws. They're breaking God's laws. They're breaking every law. They're breaking fashion laws. It's a thing. People are wearing track suits again. Did you know this? Like early 90s fashion is back in style. This is a crime against humanity, and it's got to stop. People are breaking laws all over the place. Doesn't God care about justice and punishment and doing what's right? Of course he does. And this is where the doctrine of vocation comes in. What I mean by that is that God has put in place cops and courts and parents and teachers and counselors and fashion gurus to keep everybody in line. But you need to understand, from God's perspective, when it comes to humanity's relationship with God, from God's perspective, our breaking of the rules yesterday, today, and tomorrow, our breaking of the rules has already been dealt with. Does God deserve your obedience? Yes. Does God demand and expect perfection from you? Yes. He's not lowered that bar one bit. Does he see your failures and hate your failures with a holy passion? Yes, he does. But hear me on this. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
to take the rap for your breaking of the law. He sent Jesus Christ to take the punishment that should fall on you according to the letter of the law. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that knowledge that we're always guilty in light of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, meaning crucified. So God the Father now says to you, no matter who you are, God the Father now says to you that judgment for your law-breaking was poured out on Christ. And what are Christ's own last words? It is what? It's finished, meaning the time of punishment for all sin is over. So now it's just mercy that gets poured out from God. That's it. It's just mercy that flows from his hand to yours. Christ got the punishment, you get the love. Christ got the punishment, you get the love. Christ took the letter of the law, you get love even after breaking the law. That's worth remembering. Does accountability matter? Yes, and Jesus Christ was held accountable for you. He took the letter, you get the love. And so here's how it works now. Whenever the rules show you to be a sinner, whether it's the cultural rules or your own personal rules or the house rules or fashion rules, certainly God's rules, whenever they show you to be a sinner, and just in case you didn't know, um, I might want to tell you, you are in fact a sinner. So whenever the law shows you who you really are, meaning you feel guilty because you don't do enough, you're not enough, in the face of all God's standards and everybody else's, whenever the law shows you to be a sinner, whenever it shows you to be a sinner, you don't have to worry about God striking you down with lightning. He's not in that game anymore. He struck down Jesus. And there is now no sin in all the earth that God cannot forgive. You can't even begin to see the boundary lines of his grace for you. You might think that you can, like, is it over there? Like, if I get that far, is that where the boundary line of his grace is? No, it's further. And you will never, ever find it. When you feel the sting of failure, here's what you do now. When you feel the sting of failure and the weight of God's law or anything else that condemns you, you, you get to look at God and say, God, I am guilty of breaking the law, of breaking the rules. I know that I've done this, but give me your love. And if God looks at you and says, why? Why should I give you my love? You look at him and say, because you promised. You promised me that Christ took the punishment and I get the grace. And God the Father will look at you and be like, somebody's been listening. Here you go. You want a truckload of grace? Back it up. Beep, beep. Truckload of grace coming to you. God will always give you mercy and grace. And, and listen to me, if you are here as a non-believer or a skeptic, that's the gift that God wants to give to you. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to burden you with a long list of things you need to do. You got enough of that in this world. He wants you to see who you really are in the face of his law, a mess. 
And then he wants to pour mercy and grace upon you through faith in Jesus Christ who took the punishment for you. That's it. That's God's plan for you. He doesn't want to oppress you with rules. He wants, you, he wants to free you and pour mercy and grace on you. Now, if, if you're here as a Christian, you might still have some questions as we've talked about all this. And I get it. Jesus' teaching about the law is big and it's hard to wrap our minds around and it's, it's fundamentally different from how our hearts operate. But I, I want to make one more point with you. You might be wondering what your relationship with the law should be now. I mean, if, if the law exists to, to show you your need for God's grace and then receive his love and, and to show you how to be loving to your neighbor, how do I interact with the law in such a way that, that it applies to me, though? Like, it still has to, like, have application to my life. And, and there's still going to be times where, where I see someone sinning or struggling and I'm going to wonder, should I say something to them? Should I speak the law, the truth, to them? Like, what am I supposed to do with the laws now? I get that they show me my need for grace and show me how to love others, but, but am I still, like, accountable to the law in some capacity? What do I got to do? Well, well, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. When it comes to applying God's truth to yourself, when you hear God's command about this, this, or this, and you're like, ooh, does that apply to me? The answer is yes, but here's how you should apply it. You should ask two questions. Two questions of the law. How does this particular command show me my need for God's love? And how does this command help me demonstrate love to others? That's the question you ask. So God commands that you, you not covet somebody else's stuff. Well, that's hard. And whenever you're reminded of the fact that you're not really supposed to want all the stuff everybody else has, you feel convicted. And that shows you your need for God's grace because, boy, do you want the stuff that everybody else has. And how does it help me love my neighbor? You know, you love your neighbor better when you actually love them for them and not what they have. You love your neighbor better when you actually love them and you're not secretly wishing, you know, that, that maybe something terrible happened to them and they could pass their stuff on to you. That's how it helps you love your neighbor. That's the focus of God's rules for us now. Those are the questions we ask. And when it comes to applying the law to other people, which you have to do, like if you've got kids, you've got to apply God's law to them. If you've got a spouse, you've got to sometimes apply carefully God's law to them. If you have fellow believers in the faith... And, and they're stepping out of line. They're doing something terrible, destructive, sinful. You've got to apply God's law to them. But, but here's how you do it. You, you do it asking two questions. The first question is this. Do I have the relationship that's required in order to share this? Because I'll tell you what. If you start laying down rules without a relationship, you will get one of two things and neither are good. You'll either get resentment from them or rebellion from them. Because if you don't have the place in their life established by love and trust to say, hey, um, I, need to, I need to say something tough to you. You can lay that rule on them all you want. They're just going to rebel against it or resent you. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Do you have the relationship that's required? And second, and this is really most important, am I ready to love them and show grace to them in light of their likely failure? If you can't answer yes to both of those questions, then you shouldn't go around dropping God's law on people. But if you have the relationship and you're ready to show them the mercy that God wants to give to them and that you've received, then go for it. That's how we navigate the law now.
I'll close with this. Uh, when, <clears throat> when Lisa and I go out, like on a date night, like once every six or eight years, when Lisa and I go out, um, we leave my eldest in charge of my youngest. And without fail, as we're about ready to leave for dinner or whatever it is, uh, my son will ask us some version of the same question. He'll say, is Ava the boss? Is she in charge? Does she make the rules? To which I have to say, Ava just gets to enforce the rules for two hours. Oh, okay. But one time he asked me this. He said, when will I be in charge? When will I make the rules? And when he asked that question, my heart broke because I knew. I knew that like for the next 12 years, at least, while he's in our home and while he's in school, you know, parents and teachers and other people are going to make the rules. And then maybe he'll go to college and then professors and deans and RAs will make the rules. And then he'll enter into adulthood and the government will give him a whole bunch of rules. And then maybe he'll get married and... <laughs> he won't make the rules. So my response to him was, you got to get used to this, man. <laughs> Here's why he asked that question. We love the law. We love the rules. And we want them in our hands. And we want to wield them because we want to climb. And we want to control. And we want to compare. That's how our hearts work. That's how this world works. But thanks be to God, that is not how his kingdom works. Christ has come and he said, God's kingdom is different. In God's kingdom... It's not about keeping the rules. It's about experiencing and sharing the love of the one who gave them. And when you grasp that, it changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us your truth in your word. We thank you that it curbs our bad impulses. We thank you that it acts as a mirror showing us our true sinful selves. And we thank you that it guides us in what it means to love our neighbors. But we thank you more than anything that it is not a means by which we get right with you or have a relationship with you at all. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to take the punishment for our failures in light of the law so that we can just receive law, we can just receive love, rather, in light of our failures. Thank you. Help us. Help us to love you with our lives in return and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we fail, back the truck of grace up for me and for my friends. Amen.